0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Genetically engineered food products are becoming a concern, not only regarding what is safe to eat, but also on a political level. In March of 2004, the voters of Mendocino County, California, adopted an ordinance prohibiting the growing of genetically engineered plants in Mendocino County. Dr. Ron Epstein, my guest in this archive edition of Radio Curious, is a retired philosophy professor who has taught at the Dharma Realm Buddhist University in Talmadge, California and at San Francisco State University in San Francisco, California. He's given considerable thought to the problems and potential consequences of genetic engineering of the plants, animals, and vegetables that we eat In this program, originally recorded and broadcast in August of 1995, Professor Epstein and I discussed the problems inherent in the genetic engineering of food. Ron, welcome to Radio Curious. Thank you. What are some of these problems uh, that we get in uh, genetically engineered foods?
1: Well, Barry, I think the uh, main problem is that we have fruits and vegetables that uh, are artificially produced by uh, using genetic engineering techniques and producing fruits and vegetables that, that would never Occur naturally in a million years, and we don't know about the safety of these things.
0: When we get them in the stores, are the, we, the consumers, notified to the full extent uh, that you feel we should be?
1: This is a big problem. Currently, there's no federal legislation, no state legislation, no local legislation that requires any labeling of genetic engineering material. For example, Uh, In our local community, there was a major supermarket chain that uh, recently advertised at last a tomato with homegrown garden flavor. And then they talked about how wonderful and natural this tomato was with no indication that in the ad that this was a genetically engineered tomato.
0: How is one to know?
1: You can't. Uh, That's the problem. For example, uh, one of the reasons why I was concerned about this issue on a very practical basis is that I happen to be a vegetarian. And these genetically engineered tomatoes happen to have um, animal genes in them. They have fish genes in them. They have insect genes in them. And so, as a vegetarian, I don't want to be eating these things. People who have uh, follow kosher diet probably won't have any way to know whether they're breaking the kosher laws when they buy these fruits and vegetables in the supermarket. Likewise, people with allergies uh, might be unaware that there are specific allergens that have been introduced into these fruits and vegetables.
0: Ron, we've covered a number of significant issues right up till now, and I'd like to go back and get into the specifics of them, as well as other issues. Uh, the specifics of religious problems raised by lack of labeling and the extent that there is or is not government oversight at this point uh, through the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA.
1: Well, Barry, let's take the religious problems first. I think the religious problems are really on two levels. One is uh, with specific prohibitions in, in, in diet in certain religions. Uh, such as people who are vegetarians or people who keep kosher. There's also a religious problem in that we're monkeying around with the natural world. And for many religions, this means uh, messing around with God's creation. And uh, recently, a large coalition of religious leaders from many, many different religions, many, many different denominations, signed a document saying that they were very, very worried about the kind of genetic engineering that is going on and the complete lack of safeguards that's going on in this field. One of the problems is that uh, the people who are doing genetic engineering have very little respect for life as such, and that's probably one of the, the key issues, respect for life. Uh, Living beings, whether they be plants or particularly animals, although you mentioned primarily plants we're going to be talking
0: about, Oh, bring bring in the animals, bring in the whole spectrum.
1: They're treated as as factories. They're they're not treated as uh, beings who have their own lives, who have their own needs, their own fears, their own awareness.
0: So you're talking about the growth hormones in chickens and cattle and so forth.
1: Uh, that's true. Uh, there's growth hormones that are used to produce super chickens, super cattle. There's the introduction of certain genetic uh, material into beef to uh, produce better cuts of beef. Uh, this with no regard for the welfare of the animals. I think what's more frightening, though, is that animals, There are there is research being done now in which Certain animals are used as organ factories for human beings, in other words, that genes are introduced into the animals in certain ways so that the animals can be be harvested, their organs can be harvested uh, for human beings. Uh, there's also research that's going people are very excited about in which cows are being used and genetic material is being introduced into the cows so that they will become factories to produce certain kinds of uh, vaccines. So this is very very dangerous.
0: Can you give us some examples on um, organs being produced for harvest?
1: Well uh, what they're doing is um, introducing genes into uh, I believe the liver, the heart, and, and so on of, of certain animals, I believe pigs, so that uh, the, the tissue is much closer to human tissue in these animals. And then they feel uh, in this way that they can move closer to using the animal organs and transplanting them into human beings. Now. Not only that, is there a problem for some people about going around with animal organs in, inside them, uh, but there's also a problem about raising animals uh, who are aware, who feel pain. For example, pigs are widely known to be as intelligent, if not more intelligent, than dogs. And totally disregarding. Uh, the awareness, the consciousness, the feeling of these creatures and just using them as as organ factories for human beings.
0: Once we have an an animal that has this new genetic material placed into it, Mm -hmm. however it's done, and that animal reproduces, does it reproduce with the new genetic material? Do we know?
1: Uh, it depends, uh, I think, and here uh, I may be out of my depth a little bit, what kind of genetic engineering is, do- is done. Uh, but I believe that these animals basically reproduce themselves. So that when, because the genetic engineering is in the genetic material. This is not only true of the animals, but the plants, so that when we produce, genetically altered plants and animals, they're going to reproduce produce themselves in most cases, and that reproduction may get out of control if these animals somehow escape into the wild.
0: And what kind of problems then flow from, from that reproduction?
1: Well, of course, this is what nobody talks about. What happens when things get out of control? And uh, it's a a big problem because, recently, the federal government has pretty much decided, the Clinton administration has pretty much decided, that the, the federal government is gradually going to cut down on all the controls on doing field experiments with genetically altered plants and animals, which will give them a tremendous opportunity to escape into the wild. Now, when they do that, What they can do is they can force out the natural species, whether they be natural species of fish, or animals,
0: or plants, or whatever. Something unrelated to the species that's been altered genetically? Another species?
1: No, a related... Well, there are two things that can happen. For example, if there is, for example, a genetically altered squash. If that genetically altered squash escapes into the wild, then it can... um, force out by its, um, its vigor, its unnatural vigor, all of the natural plants that are somehow related to squash and totally upset the ecology of a certain re- uh, region uh, with a genetically altered fish, for example. If it gets out, then it can des- destroy or force out of a habitat all of the natural fish
0: some like itself and some unlike itself.
1: Right, right, because they're uh, competing for food and so on and so forth.
0: In this uh, re- restructuring, this restructuring of, of nature, uh-huh. um, what do you do with the concept that we uh, in our species, Homo sapiens, are using our collective intelligence to do something like that uh, genetically alter another species isn't that not just another form of evolution just as uh, our species has created these electronic devices that allow us to record and then listen to this program or travel to the moon uh... you
1: can look at it that way uh... i think it's important though that we as a species realize that because we have uh, tremendous power to alter our environment, that we have an obligation to do it wisely and to, as a species, to listen to the, the voices of wisdom when we make
0: decisions about
1: these things.
0: What are the, those voices of wisdom either advocating or calling for on this issue? And I presume that probably centers around safety, and perhaps uh, the consumer's right to know, like you mentioned a few minutes ago.
1: Uh-huh. Well, uh Well, when I was at college, I had a biology professor whose name was George Wald, who uh, became a Nobel Prize winner after I left. And he wrote on this issue of genetic engineering, and he said that we, as human beings, should pay attention to the wisdom of the millions of years of evolution that have gone on in the planet and not completely ignore it. And he he felt that there were tremendous dangers not only to the rest of the planet, but to us as a human species by not understanding the consequences of our own actions. And he recommended very, very strongly that we not go ahead uh, with genetic engineering period. That this was something qualitatively different than had ever happened in science before. He said that previously science always had to do with exploring nature. Okay? Genetic engineering has to do with changing nature in a very, very fundamental way. Now, how do we know what's the best way to change nature? Uh, if we think about, as you said, what would be wise for the species, that would be one thing, and perhaps open to be to debate, but what's happening is that the decisions that are being made are being made just in terms of the bottom line of corporations, and we all know that corporate profits have nothing to do with morality.
0: Let me take a moment and say that you're listening to Radio Curious. My guest this week is Professor Ron Epstein, who teaches in the Philosophy Department at San Francisco State University and also at the Buddhist University in Talmadge, California. Ron, the issue of safety is one that we haven't addressed. And uh, perhaps the answer to safety is... um, It's taken three million or three billion years for our species and and our Earth's uh, flora and fauna to get to where it is now. So maybe we need more time. Is that that an answer as to some of the safety issues and why we should not do this?
1: I think that's a good start, Barry. I think there are uh, specific questions and then there are also what you might call more philosophical questions about this. We simply do not know what the effects of eating genetically altered plants and animals will be. We just do not know in the long term what happens when you introduce stuff into your body that could never naturally occur in a million years. We know that in the short term, you know, in a very, very short period of time, uh, there have not been very, very severe problems. Now, even in a short period of time, there was one problem that arose that is not totally clear cut, but is very, very suspicious. And this has to do with something called tryptophan. Tryptophan uh, was a uh, fad food additive that was uh, widely available in health food stores. And then it was found out that Uh, Thirty-one people died from this stuff, and about 1,500 people uh, contracted very, very serious long-term illnesses from it. And it looks like, although we don't know for sure, that this probably came about because of the the genetic engineering of tryptophan uh, by a Japanese biotech corporation that was using um, genetically engineered bacteria to produce the tryptophan. Now, the evidence isn't there 100%, but it looks very, very suspicious, and the genetic engineering companies have tried to whitewash this. The other question about safety, which is interesting, is a, a question about government oversight and the. Uh, responsibility of our government to protect its citizens against things which are unsafe. And this leads to a very interesting question, because usually what they do is they call in experts in the field. And the experts in the field are usually professors who work in universities doing research on genetic engineering. Now, once upon a time, these kinds of professors used to be uh, objective, dispassionate sources of information. But we all know that these days, that is, the very professors who are supposed to give the objective information to safeguard the public who are the ones who have the startup companies, who are directly involved in profiting greatly, making millions and millions of dollars from this kind of research. So there's a big question about who's going to be objective
0: about it. How do we determine that? How do we, as the uh, uh, eating consumers, deal with this issue?
1: Well, fortunately, uh, there are some very, very reputable people who are warning us about this. For example, uh, the National Wildlife Federation has a National Biotechnology Center uh, that is doing very careful scientific evaluation of the research, and they are coming out saying that this is very, very dangerous and we shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff, and uh, they have put out a lot of very, very specific material. Uh, Likewise, the Union of Concerned Scientists uh, has a working group that is also uh, trying to inform the public about the dangers of this kind of biotechnology.
0: Can you address what those dangers are?
1: Well, um, we probably won't know entirely until it's too late. Uh, one of the greatest dangers, I think, comes from some very, very recent research on viruses. And we all know the tremendous danger that naturally mutating viruses uh, can cause. We We know about AIDS. A lot of people have seen the movie Outbreak. These are probably from naturally mutating viruses. The danger from unnaturally produced viruses will probably be many, many, many fold greater. Now, what is that danger? For example, if you take a virus that, and this has been done in an experiment, if you take viruses and have them invade um, the genetic material in uh, genetically engineered plant cells. Then the viruses go in, they break off as they always do, and then they recombine with the genetically engineered material in the plant cells, and this creates viruses that could never naturally occur on Earth. And we have no idea, we don't have a clue what these viruses can do. Now, what's more frightening about this is, if you take the view that our whole planet has a, an ecosystem you know, that works naturally to keep itself healthy, so that uh, when there are threats against a particular part of the ecology, the, the planet as a whole, the ecosystem of the planet, has natural defense ne- mechanisms to deal with that. So there may be problems, but there's also always some kind of natural defense mechanism that comes in, steps in, to balance things out. So, in the long run, things are okay unless human beings do something so radical that it overcomes the defense mechanisms of the planet. Now, it looks like, that's what we're on the road to doing in a way that the planet can't counter with, with this genetic engineering.
0: Ron, the issue of um, economics versus what is wise for the human species, uh, what we should do and not do, keeps surfacing uh, in my mind. Um, how do you address that? Uh, some of the examples that come to mind might be genetically engineered growth hormones, for instance, in in people.
1: Good question, Barry. This is very, very dangerous, because as long as we're looking at profits, you know, we're looking at a very, very small view, and we're not looking at the welfare of the, the human species. Uh, it's very important, I think, to understand that If we are going to maximize our potential as human beings, we cannot take a very, very small view, and that uh, if we are going to go beyond ourselves, then we have to be open to some kind of wisdom beyond ourselves, whether you call that the wisdom of nature, or divine wisdom, or whatever. But as long as we're taking this very, very small view of being concerned about Advantage in a very small area, not related to the big picture, and that's the problem, not relating to the big picture, then you've got a a big problem on your hands. For example, you mentioned the genetically engineered growth hormone. Uh, There was research uh, that was done recently in which people were trying to set up corporations to sell to uh, parents this therapy. And originally, it was supposed to be uh, research on children who were genetically abnormal. By giving them this growth hormone, they could help them out. Now, what happened was it, it ended up that people who thought their children were too short, even though they were naturally short, then wanted this kind of therapy. And what's more frightening is that this therapy was very hard on the children, very expensive, and it wasn't sure at all clear how effective it is. Now, are we going to put parents in a situation that they're going to have to give gene therapy to their kids according to the latest fads to make them taller, to change their eye color, their hair color, their skin color? Uh, Mm -hmm. What does this have to do with the real qualities, you know, that are important that we want to instill in in our children? Furthermore, when we start making these superficial changes in people, on the basis of the profit motive, we don't know what kind of side effects there are going to be. And that's what's really frightening, because in almost all the genetic research, whether it be gene therapy in people, whether it be changing animals or plants or whatever, you know, the research is always in a very, very small area on a very short-term basis, and we never look at the big picture. we have a responsibility, not only for human beings on the planet, but for the whole ecosystem of the planet. And the kind of research that's going on, frankly, does not address those questions. So this research is something that puts the whole future of the human race in very, very grave danger. And personally I think that this is really even more dangerous than nuclear energy and people just do not realize it because it isn't so spectacular.
0: An example that comes to mind, um, in the uh, late 40s and early 50s, uh, women who were pregnant uh, were given a drug called DES to uh, retard spontaneous abortions. And the children of those people who are now adults have a very high rate of cervical or testicular cancer uh, that wasn't perhaps contemplated when their mothers were given this drug. That's right. Also,
1: um, evolution has its own wisdom. There's a certain kind of natural selection that goes on in the world, and if we short-circuit that process of uh, natural health, of the natural ecosystems of the planet for very very short-term goals or for very very short-term profits we're going to be in big trouble in the long run.
0: That's the philosopher coming out. (laughs) Ron, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious but before we go I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests at the end of an interview and that is could you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately?
1: Well there's a very interesting book by uh, Jeremy Rifkin, who is one of the uh, few people who is out there in Washington trying to make the legislators aware of the dangers of genetic engineering. And one of his better theoretical books is a book called Algeny. And I I think it's food for thought for any of your listeners.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about what he says in Algeny?
1: Uh, Algeny, uh is a book that questions some of the basic presuppositions of uh, the narrow view of scientific research in these areas and tries to get people to take a broader framework, to move into a bigger paradigm, to take a look uh, at, at the human uh, species as not a species who have been provided by uh, the planet for a field of uh, their own pleasure taking, but a species that is intimately, uh, that the human species is intimate, intimately interrelated with all life on Earth. And he gives the view uh, that I think is very, very wise that. Life is not there just for our pleasure, but that we have a very, very profound responsibility, and not only responsibility, a profound oneness with all the life on the planet, and that if we see ourselves as separate from the life on the planet, as separate from the holistic ecosystem of the planet, then that's a short-sighted view uh, that is going to cause us a lot
0: of trouble in the future. Ron Epstein, uh, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Dr. Ron Epstein is a retired professor of philosophy at the Dharma Realm University in Talmadge, California and San Francisco State University in San Francisco, California. The book that he recommends is Algini by Jeremy Rifkin. There are over 750 archives on our website RadioCurious.org and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress we appreciate your cards ideas and letters and do enjoy hearing from you the email is Curious at RadioCurious.org the postal address is 700 West Smith Street Ukiah, California 95482